0: Welcome to the OMR Podcast International. I'm Scott Peterson, international content creator at OMR today. My guest is Christopher Leidinger, CEO and founder of LitCreate, a Berlin-based branding agency whose portfolio includes major fintech players in Nuri and Solaris Bank, as well as other companies of a similar vein in payroll, tax, and compliance management startups. But the portfolio also includes a new-age chemistry startup, A chocolate brand, food delivery startup, a craft spirit brand, and an underground techno club in Berlin because, of course. And lid is also partnered with major international brands such as Airbnb, Volkswagen, and Hyundai on various ad and image campaigns. So what better person to talk to than Christopher about the current state of branding – what it is, how it's evolved, and why every company, big or small, should be cognizant about the image it projects. Plus, Christopher also was uh, kind enough to share some actionable tips, a checklist, if you will, to self-inspect on whether or not your brand is up to snuff. And to top it all off, we even managed to get in some Twitter slander, aka X. Before we get to the show, a quick heads up. There was a glitch in the matrix while recording. Long story short, the internet connection wasn't really stable enough and that caused this popping sound to recur throughout the episode. My producer Diego did a great job removing the bulk of it, but it's still there. So I just wanted to apologize for that in advance. All right, that's it. On with the show. It's my pleasure to be joined right now by uh, Christopher Leidinger, CEO, founder of Lit Create. Christopher, welcome to the Omar International podcast. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I think um, maybe we we'll start a little bit. Uh, you're CEO and founder of LitCreate, which is what exactly?
1: We are a branding agency, a branding studio, consultancy that deals with uh, brand building, brand design, and everything that has to do with branding and brand experiences.
0: Okay. And when was it founded?
1: We started um, almost exactly four years ago with two former colleagues of mine. Uh, and now we grew to a small but very solid team uh that we yeah that we work with every day
0: okay and you're based uh in berlin
1: correct in berlin exactly
0: all right and uh you kind of alluded to it but how bigger how big is the company now how many people do you employ
1: yeah we are like 12 full-time employees plus um, a number of like 20 30 freelancers that we regularly work with when it comes to specific tasks like naming experts for example or other specific disciplines that we need to bring in into the brand projects.
0: And how much of that um, do you completely outsource, and how much of that are you actually involved in? Would you say, like you just uh, spoke to like naming experts, and you get to things like claims and stuff with certain uh, companies. Like that's not the same as a visual uh, appearance and a visual redesign, which we'll get into. But so I'm just curious, like how much is your um, your operational tasks?
1: Yeah. So for us, it's super important that all the Key decisions that we uh, we're making, or that we are helping the clients make, uh, that we have in house actually. So all the conceptual side, the strategic side in developing and defining the core of the brand, the core idea of the brand, we have it in house. And whenever it's more of a specific task, for for example, we had a project a couple of years ago where it was about translating a brand into the workplace into a kind of an office design and then of course we bring in architects that help us translate that into the space but really everything that's at the heart of the brand we have it in-house okay
0: um and we're gonna get into that here in a minute but i kind of wanted to circle back to you and a little bit of your um your career path um so from about 2015 to 2018 ish you were kind of um more i guess active on the strategic side not really the product operational side and then around 2018 you co-founded a liquor startup if I'm not mistaken and you got kind of more active on the product operational side of things so how did you kind of shift from from that I don't know like umbrella take on branding to like a very granular direct product focused um
1: uh, uh take yeah. So um, I was very lucky actually to um, yeah meet branding at a very early stage, actually at the very first stage of my career. And it was basically love at first sight uh, when it comes to, comes to brand building and brand strategy. And actually from then on to all the projects and all the things I've done ever since, it had that kind of branding angle. And I started working in a lot of agencies, consultancies, um, but... Um, always had that feeling that I really wanted to learn and prove that these ideas and these strategies are not only stuck in, let's say, PowerPoint slides, but they actually translate into real actionable businesses. So um, the starting of the liquor company in 2018, that was kind of a side gig um, that um, yeah, continues until now. I'm less involved now, but um, yeah, uh, it was really about how can we Build a brand ourselves. How we can can we build a business ourselves, um, that um, you know really proves how branding is connected to all the other elements of of, of, uh, of a business, um, and that really you know proves that it's possible to take something that's, in this case, very outdated, uh, a German liquor called uh, Eck liquor. Um, and really reinvent the product, reinvent the brand, reinvent the communication, reinvent the design, and uh, take it into the market and and make it something that appeals to people. So, um, it, it I, I actually like to call it my executive MBA. It's kind of the tipsy version of it, maybe. Uh-huh. But um, uh, it really is something that on the- is that a play on in? Sorry,
0: no. I was just going to ask if that was an intentional play on words. Your executive MBA uh, with egg oh are no. dealing with egg never thought about liqueur. that oh yeah, that's good see?
1: ah see amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah i should put that in my c v exactly <laughs> yeah you
0: should uh, I, I think it's just right there for the taking um but uh so you kind of alluded to it um the the brand process or the rebranding branding process itself is very involved Um, And there's a lot of different moving parts, and a lot of different aspects. You have people that are specialized in certain things, obviously, UX designers, the strategic people, the people that are like putting these concepts into place. Kind of take me, walk me through a little bit of like the brand process for you when you get or the rebranding process when you get involved with a company.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I think. I mean, not all the projects are the same, right? So, it's very individual often it's because we talk about something that is really at the core of an organization of a business that deals with the identity of a, of a business. So, it's really very individual. And I think sometimes there's companies, uh, there's ventures approaching us that actually need help finding that direction, finding that identity. And for some Um, They have found their identity, have found their way, but really need someone to help them create more coherence, create more consistency in the way um, this brand works internally, but also externally in the way it communicates, in the way it expresses itself. So um, I think there's no one size fits all, but it always starts with kind of a strategic process at the beginning to ask the right questions and then think about what is it actually um that would help this business that brand get to where they want to want to want to be.
0: Okay, so then what are some of the key components to crafting a brand strategy? I know there's like you just said it's not a one size fits all type of thing, but there's got to be kind of like I know some over universal questions to to begin with at least.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think um uh First of all, maybe it's it's super important. There's like just a handful of things that are super important to consider, right, when it comes to these uh, uh, brand building processes. So one, I think, is realness and authenticity, right? So the question of what is it actually that you can um, uh, authentically, can credibly communicate as a business? What are you good at? What uh, do people believe that you're good at? And and I think in, in times like these. Um, it's even more important it's not really possible to really you know um, uh, pretend to be something um, that maybe was possible in the a couple of decades ago but right now it's not really something that that's that's, that's possible because people can look behind the curtain very easily um, So this I think authenticity is key then individuality is key so we're not really talking about very universal um, uh, you know, all-encompassing brands anymore. Really, we're talking about how can we create a relationship between specific audiences and the brand, right? So, uh, branding is a lot of, has, has to do a lot with relationship building, um, and I think uh, ultimately it's about you know finding these audiences and finding a way to create create value, emotional and rational value, exactly for them, right? And not just having something that is a one-way street and you communicate into the market. Yeah, so these are, I think, two things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead, please. And uh, I think there's there's a couple of other things. I think um, to be dynamic about a brand, to be very flexible about a brand is another thing um, that's super important when we start these processes. And also when we, you know, elaborate on the design and all the elements of the brand to really... uh, uh, understand this relationship as something that is changing over time with new trends coming in, with new needs of consumers coming in. So having that agility of a brand in there. And last but not least, I, uh, I mean, just to, to name a few of the elements that are super important in brand building, I think courage uh, is, a, is a super important aspect. Um, I think we've seen it, uh, especially in the past couple of years, when it was super, or it is super important for brands to really take a stance, right? Um, to develop their own opinion, to ev- uh, develop their own, um, yeah, very specific uh, um, attitude towards things. That doesn't mean that you have to be super political, but it does mean that you're conscious about what you're communicating, what you believe in, right? So Nike and Colin Kaepernick is a good example, but also if you think about, um, I don't know big corporate brands uh, um, uh, recoloring their logo in the month of June for for Pride Month uh, and then changing it again afterwards. I think that's a good example for, um, or negative example in that case, um, that it's actually super important for a brand to take a stance.
0: Okay. And so, when you have all these different um, aspects that are um, needing to be fleshed out and developed, what type of timeline are we typically talking about from like i don't know a a company or a brand contacting you and to actually getting a a brand redesign out there
1: right so um again of course it depends on the the size of the company it depends on the number of stakeholders that you need to involve how political let's say are the structures but just to generally speaking i think somewhere between three to six months to develop kind of the brand the brand strategy and the brand design and then depending on what kind of touch points what kind of application this brand needs is it just the website and an app or is it actually packaging and and a lot of physical elements as well um it takes up to i I think one year two years to implement everything um depending on the on the size
0: how long does it take until like the the rebranding effects are actually kind of noticeable and tangible would you say is it, is it an immediate impact where like the a, a redesign is out there and a company is just like, yeah, it was totally worth it? Or does it take a little while for it to really be uh, to be felt and noticed?
1: Yeah, I think branding is a long-term game. Um, it's not performance marketing, right? So it is really about finding your position. And that can have some kind of, let's say, hockey stick effect where people, maybe um, you're your consumers uh, your customers your existing customers will have some kind of irritation moment for a couple of days weeks um, uh, until they understand that actually what you're doing um, is going in a certain direction and it actually gets more coherent and more clear um, uh, in the in in the long run so I think um, the most of the projects that we work uh, on are very uh, let's say more revolutionary rebranding so they're Instantly noticeable in terms of the design, of course, and usually okay, you have so some kind complete of complete overhauls. Yeah, m- many times, yeah. many times there are complete overhauls. And, um, and I think in these cases, it's super important um, to kind of, you know, take your, your clients, take your customers along, communicate well. Um, and if you do that, uh, usually the setback or the hockey stick effect is very, very low.
0: Okay, kind of like uh, you alluded to it before, Nike and Colin Kaepernick. I mean, at first there was uh, a lot of outrage that was going on, but then that was quickly um, taken over and replaced by a lot of you know, support. Absolutely. What would you say are like some typical reasons that uh, clients and brands um, would contact you or generally speaking would take the decision, which um, is kind of, uh, it's not an easy one to take, Um I mean, I guess maybe sometimes it is, but like, what are some of the reasons that clients would want to overhaul their brand? Because it's a long process, like you'd said, and there are risks involved. So like, what are some of the motivations, would you say?
1: Yeah, I think, I think for some of uh, the clients, it's a really a necessary thing to do, right? Because um, maybe there, uh, there, there has been a change in the market, there has been a change in the trend, and, and a, a, um, a brand, a business really has to adapt um, has to appeal to new audiences, has to actually create a brand or product-market fit that is um, that works more for the future. And for some um, other brands, I think it's something more proactive may- maybe, be- where they consciously decide to move more in a different direction um, and then uh, adapt the brand uh, accordingly. I think for all of them, it's always a, a question of, it- there's a strategic um idea behind it or strategic question behind it of um of, to say like okay how can we make our business how can we make our organization uh future proof how can we be uh here and be appealing and be attractive and be engaging um uh, not only today but actually in the future so i think that's the core question that that's always there
0: all right um and when when you're designing or redesigning, um, a brand, um, communication for a brand that is internationally active, how does that impact the degree of difficulty? Cause I mean, it's not only like the linguistic parts of it, which obviously are not easy to convey the same messaging because of translational aspects and stuff like that, but also like brand values that may shift, um, kind of walk me through that. Like, how does that kind of change the game?
1: As I said before, I think every brand challenge is very individual, um, and I think thinking about like an international audiences makes it maybe even more complex in that sense. But at the end, it's always about like finding the audience, whether it's a B two B audience, is a B two C audience, whether it's international, whether it's very national or even local. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's always about understanding these audiences and then creating value, creating a story, creating something. Uh, meaningful for them, right? And it it really does not change too much what kind of audiences they are or whether the product is uh, in the fintech area or it's a chocolate, right? It's always about finding that space and finding that value and finding that meaning, right? Um, uh, And yeah, ultimately, I think that's what it's all about, so yeah.
0: Finding that authenticity that you're able to communicate um and r- that is gonna resonate with a certain target group, essentially. Absolutely. No matter where they Absolutely. are.
1: Absolutely. All right. Exactly.
0: And so we we touched on this a couple of times. Um finding that kind of authenticity in like what is believable amongst your target group. Is is there a limit to a brand's potential like scope of you know, what it can actually cover and stand for. And one of the reasons I, one of the specific examples I wanted to touch on is Cash App, which is kind of like a PayPal type of thing, but it's also a lifestyle brand. Um, they have their own merch and um, kind of like have a, almost kind of a, a cult following is probably a little, uh, a bridge too far, but they, they have definitely like kind of a fan base where people are wearing and rocking their swag. Uh, and so I'm just like, Curious, like how do you go about like defining uh, a brand's limits, and um, what factors kind of go into that? Whether or not you can actually pull it off.
1: Cash App is a great example because we're in a world where the product that they're offering, uh, which is managing your finances, uh, payment services, etc., are really a commodity. So it's really something that a lot of other companies, a lot of other apps, are actually offering. So in order to create more meaning and to get to more engagement, to create actually a stronger brand, they decided to move more into that lifestyle direction, create merch, which is one tool to make something more lifestyle more appealing as a lifestyle, and actually put a lot of money into communication and, and, uh, and ads, as we've seen with uh, famous testimonials, etc., to create everything create meaning around actually a commodity uh, by making it more lifestyle-y. I think for other brands where the product itself is maybe more uh, uh, differentiating and it's more different than other other products or the the, the features that you're offering, etc., I think they probably maybe don't need that much to move into this kind of extra layer of communication and lifestyle lifestyle lifestyleness but actually can talk more about the feature of their product, et cetera. So um, when we talk about cash app, I think the limits really are in their media spending. <laughs> um, um, but uh, I think to to win and to kind of stand out in a market uh, in a fintech market that's so you know so crowded, I think that's probably Yeah, a very or this specific case, very successful, very effective way of going about.
0: All right. Now, in um, I want to kind of shift over towards uh, Lit's portfolio of clients, and um, I was kind of going through them, looking for something that was universal to all of them, and I couldn't really find it. Um, I mean, there are some uh, very prominent players in the fintech sector, um, Solaris Bank, Nuri. Um, There are other kind of classic industries of a similar ilk. There's payroll management, tax management, compliance uh, management, uh, but you also have some other outliers. Um, New Age chemistry startup, Chocolate, which you touched on, food delivery, egg liquor, which we've discussed, and my own personal favorite, a cultural institution in Berlin, by which, of course, I mean an underground techno club. Um these are all companies and brands that you've worked with to some degree um, since uh, Lit has, uh, since you founded Lit. Is there a method to kind of the madness? Is there any, would you say, any characteristics or kind of ethoses or stances that each of these entities and organizations uh, have and share?
1: So uh, obviously it's not the industries uh, that, uh, that are the same. And uh, if we think about uh, Solaris and, and the Techno Club at the same time, it's probably not the target group either. Um I think probably it's really not. the uh, probably not. Um I think it's really the, the process, uh how we work. When we started Lit uh four years ago, um we start really started it as um as an agency to have a process that's a little bit different from what we had seen before in other uh let's say branding agencies or other branding processes. Um something that is more holistic, that thinks um not really only the marketing side, the brand marketing side, but really holistically about a brand uh, as a key element of a business. Um, uh, a process that is very pragmatic, uh, not too rigid in terms of building brand guidelines and having a very um, strict system of how design works, uh, but really something more pragmatic, more flexible. And I think the, um, and ultimately, um, just, just, a, just a way of, of collaborating with people. Um, really, uh, you know, working together with them, not just getting the briefing and then uh, um, moving into our little creative basement for six weeks and then coming out with the big presentation, but really, you know, have regular check-ins, work with them together, like really enable them to make the decisions for their brand and their identity. And I think that's something that has worked very well for us in the past few years and it has been appealing for a lot of companies that um, have that culture, right? So that are, um, you know, have a very agile culture, have a a young, young teams, very um, strategic, driven, uh, holistically thinking founders and so on. I think, and that's ultimately what all of these clients have in common, I think.
0: And probably also a motivation to change, whether that's because of external factors or internal, Absolutely. but they're obviously coming to you uh, and they want something to change. Um, when, uh, how would you say your portfolio is um, with regard to company size, primarily larger scale companies, SMEs, so small to medium enterprises, smaller, I mean, I know you've got a little bit of everything, but where would you say your focus lies?
1: yeah so we we have done um, some work for bigger corporates and SMEs and we've also done some work for very early startups but I think really the our sweet spot and, and most of our clients, most of our projects are somewhere in between. Uh, and we like to call it the startups that grow up, right So it's many times it's companies that have been around for a while they kind of found their space in the market, they kind of found their um, uh, you know, their target audience and now really want to uh, want a brand that catches up to this. And I think for Solaris, for Circus, uh, for Nucao, it's always the same kind of uh, situation where uh, a company usually has a size of maybe 100, 200 people and now really needs to deal with their brand, needs to put it on a strategic foundation, needs to build a design system that's scalable that all the employees and, and other partners can work with. And really, something that you know um, they they can write on the walls, basically, to to scale and to grow more as a company. So um, yeah, I think that's really our sweet spot uh, in the last couple of years in terms of companies and company size. All
0: right, you've uh, you've done an, uh, an image campaign for Airbnb, and you'd also mentioned uh, Solaris Bank, um, probably. A- Two of the, and along with Nuri, um, uh, the more prominent names, I guess, in the portfolio, at least the larger names. How does working with companies like that kind of change? Is the the process a lot more staid and slow because there are a lot more shareholders and stakeholders to get through? Or is it still kind of impacted by their willingness and uh, self-motivation to change?
1: I think at the beginning, there is this motivation to change. and That's very individual and it's very dynamic and there's a momentum there. Um, I think for these companies that have kind of grown to a certain size and to to gain certain structures and uh, hierarchies and so on, for them to then implement this change and find solutions and find agreement to go in a certain direction, it's more complicated, of course, than for a smaller founder-driven startup. Because they do need to very carefully think about who are the people we need to involve, who are the people we need to ask at a certain point, who are the people that we maybe just inform about changes, what other people that we need to ask very early on uh, or or to consult them. Um, And I think part of this brand transformation processes, uh, of these rebrandings, etc., is really thinking about this process as well, thinking about the stakeholders. Because if you don't, uh, it doesn't matter how nice the new positioning and the new brand design is, it won't stick, right? So um, I think it's a a crucial part of these brand processes to think about the structures, understand the structures, and really think about how to involve the right people at the right time.
0: Do you have any... um kind of negative examples or like, you know, worst case type of scenarios where you're working with somebody and you got far along and then, yeah, the wrong, uh, the right shareholders were not involved and they just came in and just killed a project?
1: Not a very specific one that I can give you, but... Sure, think, of course think, not. <laughs> we don't want to name drop here. <laughs> uh, but I think um, there's a, a common mistake uh, that that happens and that we try to always kind of, um you know, kind of argument against and, and work against this is... The question of a democratic decision making. Because at the end, uh, it's super important to involve everyone and to think about their opinions and to take them seriously. Because we're all people and all relationships, uh, as we said earlier. But when it comes to decision making, when it comes to defining a set of colors, defining the final mission statement, and so on, it's really not a democratic process anymore. It's really about uh, a core group with the backing of an organization to make that decision and then have other people that maybe had a different opinion still agree on it. And I think to ha- to create something outstanding in terms of uh, a brand, in terms of a brand design, you cannot make a democratic decision because if you do, all the brands would look the same. To create some edge, to create some inspiration, to create something that stands out, it needs to have some kind of let's say, um, yeah, um, very, you know, uh, clear decision-making from a smaller group of people. And I think uh, to handle this kind of process is super important. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, I think it kind of goes into like um, human nature or human individual characteristics. Not everybody is willing to take a risk and um, and be responsible for the ramifications of that risk if it goes awry. Um, and when you're rebranding, I mean, there's a lot, especially if you have like, even a startup that has grown up um, or these established entities, like there's a lot on the line and, you know, the, yeah, it's not for everybody, I would say. Um, when, I'd like to kind of get your personal take on on brands, just generally speaking. Um, I kind of was thinking about last night and prepping for this, um, a way to kind of frame this. And I like to uh to think about sommeliers, so the wine nerds out there, I love you all, but you're wine nerds. Um, when they they get together, they like to talk about kind of cult wines, you know, things that are like a little bit off the off the radar, not as prevalent or hyped up, um, but that gets like experts excited. Are there any brands that kind of fit that mold for you? Like not talking necessarily like the apples of the world, which I think, as far as I know, is universally loved. As far as like a lot of their brand, at least their their images and imagery is concerned but are there any like brands out there that you are impressed by that inspire you that maybe aren't household names
1: sure there are a lot of them and they are i think they're interesting for different reasons when you think about nerdness there's for for example there's one brand that comes to mind very directly it's called teenage engineering i don't know if you heard of it it's basically a tech gadget company yeah you should uh-huh. Um, if you if you're into tech gadgets, especially when it comes to sound, um, uh, they have amazingly designed uh, products. Uh, it's a I think Swedish company, um, and it's just in terms of the way they rethink tech gadgets uh, and also the way they present it, the way they are designed. I think it's absolutely outstanding. So that's definitely a um, a good a good little secret brand then. Should be on the radar, but I think it's not just these kind of designy brands uh, that uh, are interesting. Um, for example, there are a couple of of uh, brands that, for example, I find very interesting, and and I like to mention these kind of question always is for example companies like Air Company. I don't know if you heard of them, or a company from Switzerland called Bloom that we work with, and these are kind of very tech deep tech driven uh, companies that. Create um, basically uh, industrial products, but um, in a carbon negative way. So it's not just carbon neutral, but they take carbon and out of the carbon, they are able to create new products, new fuels or comp- compounds that you can use for cosmetics production and things like that. And I think these um, let's say very vision-driven, tech-driven brands are also super interesting to, to look at because I think they are Actually, defining a new kind of industry that's not only carbon neutral but actually carbon negative. So that's super interesting too.
0: I was going to get to this later, but since um, since the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, um, and you mentioned kind of this carbon neutral um, aspect, um, sustainability is definitely, I would say, currently and has been for the past couple of years, um, the kind of like most. Overwhelming, most important trend in branding. See, so many companies out there just trying to reposition themselves, or like just at least put out a a very, um, very, very significant marketing, allocate a significant portion of their marketing budget towards you know pumping up their their sustainability efforts. And a lot of that is greenwashing. Um, And you mentioned this earlier about authenticity, and how does that? How do both of these kind of aspects um, tie into each other? Like the need for to, to present themselves as sustainability, as sustainable companies, but also to maintain authenticity. And where does that go awry? And like how, how do you see that playing out?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, yes, yeah, great question. I think, um, first of all, it's super important to understand that sustainability is not just one trend, but it's actually a major shift And I think it's important to understand the nature of it because it's not just something that is happening on an individual level, let's say, right? Where it's about adding a new feature or um, having a better price as a brand or um, just updating your uh, expression a little bit. But it's really about thinking uh, about today, thinking about tomorrow, thinking about society as a whole, thinking about responsibility that we have towards nature. And so on. And if you think about it that holistically, I think it's super important to also think about it holistically in terms of your company. So, um, the moment you start thinking about it holistically, I think uh, that's the moment we move away from greenwashing, right? Because we think about what is sustainability in terms of my product, in terms of how I source things, the supply side, in terms of my workplace, the organization, how people work together in terms of my value proposition and, of course, in terms of my communication. So, I think, first first of all, it's super crucial to start, start to think holistically about sustainability and understand that it's really uh, um, at the core of the brand identity and thus the entire organization. And then, once we have done that, I think the next thing is to think about what are actually ways of expressing your stance and your view on sustainability individually for you right and what we see a lot is that people move away from let's say cliche visual codes and 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 messaging right so there's i think a couple of years ago it was enough to put a little green leaf next to your logo or something and then that's the sustainability side of it now it goes way deeper and it's way more about like what is your mission how do you approach this thing and also how do you communicate it in a more individual way and then maybe uh, put a stronger focus on innovativeness, on ingenuity, and and the way you are dealing with these um, uh, sustainability issues that are everywhere.
0: Do you have any examples of clients that you've worked with um, that have kind of like effectively made the shift, made the jump?
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think New Cow, because we talked about chocolate earlier. I think it's a good example. Um, it's a brand that uh, was very much um, in Let's say the activist niche, or let's say in a in the corner of uh, um, a smaller, um, more yeah smaller target group, smaller audiences that are very eco-conscious already, um, and they're offering offering a, a range of snacks that are sustainable, vegan, organic to them, and they decided to say, okay, no, we actually want to move more. Towards a broader audiences, audience. We think sustainability is not something that belongs to the niche, but it's actually something that should be accessible to everyone. So they worked on their product and also they worked on their brand together with us. Um, And it was really about finding a way of moving out of this niche, creating a mainstream appeal and creating something that um, really is, let's say, positive, no moralizing undertone, but at the same time no greenwashing. And uh, I think the result at the end was to create something that has the loudness, the authenticity of an activist brand, let's say, but at the same time have kind of the the fun, the positivity of a mainstream snack or chocolate brand. Uh, And I think here we see the shift how sustainability really moves into into, the mainstream and and, and is a major shift that's kind of everywhere. Mm
0: -hmm. Is there a way that you quantify or qualify actually um, your your rebrands with companies and like a, a way to like kind of track the and measure success? Uh,
1: I, I think, again, it's very individual. There are many ways of tracking it. Um, it depends on the question that we had at the very beginning. It depends on the objectives that we have. Um, and it can be things like, of course, sales. It can be things like uh, customer loyalty, um, retention, but it can also be things like employee, employee retention, right? Or uh, increased number of um, uh, applications that you receive as an organization. So it really depends on what was the initial goal and how can we actually uh, mirror that with um, um, yeah, specific KPIs that have to do with the branding.
0: Taking a view of branding in the context of business, business success and growth, um, what is its impact, would you say, on, uh, and like, to what extent can a rebrand or a company's brand uh, impact a business's success
1: or lack thereof? I think, just to take one step back, I think in the business world, people are very much obsessed with logical thought and rationality. And I think it's something that's super important to, that you need to effectively solve problems, uh, especially when it comes to let's say mathematics engineering physical science financial models and so on but things that are um, quantifiable exactly exactly absolutely um, and I think in times like today when it's more like a crisis time uh, and there's a increased um, aversion when it comes to risk I think people tend to overvalue these rational this rational thinking the numerical thinking the spreadsheet driven ideas and so on and tend to kind of undervalue the the emotional side. But ultimately, human behavior um, is not really rational always, right? Reason doesn't really necessarily apply to human behavior. Um, so it's really important to think about emotions, to think about the creation of meaning. And that's actually where creative strategy and, and branding comes in, right? Um, because ultimately, if you're working with people, you're uh, selling to people, you're collaborating with people, which ultimately every business does um, you need to think about the emotional side and you need to involve emotional driven thinking um, to be successful as a business and a brand so that's really where where creative strategy comes in and that's really why branding is more at the core of the business strategy than just uh, part of marketing what are some common mistakes
0: that you see like kind of like um, I-, I don't know whether there's a disconnect between like a brand's, perceived image and the image that they're actually communicating um especially like with younger companies and like startups that are maybe just trying to find their footing
1: i think one one is um the topic that we talked about earlier is to is is exactly that to to see branding more holistically and not just uh let's say a necessary evil that's part of uh, the marketing side and that you just have to do but actually something that's really at the core of the the business. And that doesn't mean that you have to hire a head of brand as your first employee, but it does mean that you have to consciously think about branding um, always. Because, and that's something that accounts for any kind of brand, not just businesses, also personal brands, is that you cannot not have a brand, right? And the question is, do you work with it? Are you conscious about it um, or do you ignore it? And I think that's something that is a common mistake that people tend to just overlook it and and think it's not as important or something to deal with later by the marketing team. Um, But uh, I think the way you're building your image, the way you're building appeal to customers, um, meaning to employees and so on is something that starts at the very, very beginning of any company, any venture. So I think that's one of the most common mistakes, I'd say, is to Underestimate uh, the meaning and the value of branding.
0: So, we mentioned authenticity, but what are some of the other, like, kind of core pillars of successful branding?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think you said it at the beginning uh, shortly. So, authenticity is one. I think flexibility is one to be flexible, especially in times like these where, where there's new trends, new things coming up all the time. Um, things are changing very quickly. To be flexible about the brand is, is super important. Um, to have a clear stance about uh, what you believe in, what your values are. Um, yeah. And uh, I think to be uh, yeah, just very clear about what are the audiences that you're catering to and, and, and how to create individual value for them. I think in the past, when we talked about branding, people would just get out this positioning chart and then think about where would be a gap in the market and then just find a color that nobody was using and just use that to kind of uh, create value there or to kind of simpler find times. their spot there. Exactly, simpler times. Um, and I think today, this market perspective still is important, but it's just one of many. I think to find your audience, create value for them, find a way of translating rational benefits into emotional benefits, into meaning, into something that's a standout design, Uh, look and feel that appeals to people that is attractive creates interest i think this is really um, um, where branding is happening where relationships are being made and not on a a positioning chart
0: and how about the way you go about communicating some of these aspects and how how do these like kind of how does that evolve over the years and one of the examples i have in my head is uh, the concept of trust and uh you discussed this with my colleague uh casper uh in the finance forward podcast a couple of years ago but the concept of trust in banking and how in the past if you wanted to create trust you'd like show some guy in a suit eh, with a briefcase and nowadays that doesn't really work and so just curious is like how do you see like the the concept of communication uh, communicating values evolving
1: it's yeah, a uh, great question i think um i think it's Again, it gets more fragmented. It gets more individual. I think there are some things like that we can see that are specific to certain industries, uh, like the suit, for example, in in finance. Um, but that's not something that accounts to all the areas. I, I'm pretty sure there are other industries where the suit is still very important to, to wear. Uh, and, and sure, otherwise, to
0: why would they be wearing it? Not exactly. not comfortable. I,
1: I think, uh, ultimately, um, communication um, has evolved. It gets more individual. It's more fragmented. It's more specific to the specific audiences and, and industries, uh, audiences, uh, target groups, etc. That we talk to. So I think the the suit in in the financial industries is a good example for something that has maybe changed as a symbol. But in other industries, there are other symbols, other things that you need to have. Uh, in order to um, uh, communicate and create trust via communication so i think f- we talked about sustainability earlier uh, certain certificates certain symbols and badges um uh, are super important uh, in, in to communicate uh, sustainability or diversity or um, just uh, some kind of social responsibility that you have as a company so i think for example there the 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 Importance of certain certificates and certain um, um, yeah labels has kind of increased, but it's very specific to to each industry, and that's why it's super important to really um, understand the the company, understand the context that the business that the brand is in, and then find a way to create trust with your audiences that you're that you're targeting to.
0: We're almost finished here, almost out of time. And you'd mentioned a couple of things just now that I wanted to get to. And I don't really have a a clean segue here. But you'd mentioned um, kind of crisis time uh, before. And uh, you mentioned like that there's misunderstandings with companies. And one of the biggest and most prominent examples right now of a rebrand is Twitter slash X. And I wanted to kind of get your expert take on that. Like, what was what was your reaction when you saw that? I mean, I guess it's just a nominal rebrand, at least at first. But there are also rumblings that Elon wants to turn that into a, a WeChat of sorts. And he's kind of like going about it like through social media to kind of like, you know, impact and and, and initiate this rebrand. What did you think when you saw this?
1: Yeah, a lot. I mean, of course, that was the talk of the town, especially here at the agency in the studio. Everybody was talking about that. So first of all, I think from a purely design rebranding perspective, um, I think it's an absolute disaster. Um, I think the way it was uh, taken ahead. I think the the, the design of the X. I think the associations that come with it. It's an absolute. Uh, it's very badly done. But as we talked about earlier, I think branding is not just design. It's not just nominal rebranding, but there's an idea behind it. And you, you mentioned it, the Everything app. And I do think if Elon does want to create this WeChat, uh, the Everything app, then you do, on top of Twitter, then you do need to change the brand. Because Twitter is just loaded with political history, with um, opinions. Um, of ex-presidents, um, so many things that I do think you do you do need to change the brand in order to, to get to the Everything app. Do you have to kill it the way he killed it? I don't think so, but yeah, some kind of change needed to be done. I think, last but not least, what's super important to consider here is it's really the brand that we're talking about right now is not X, but the brand that we talk about is Elon Musk, right? Um, because he really represents that shift in the company right now, um, and uh, he's very emotional about this X uh, uh, brand, uh, the X Corp. Um, there's a lot of, I think, uh, um, power hungriness of a, a maybe slightly irrational uh, billionaire happening. Um, but I do th- do think that if he does move more into the everything app. Um, There will be some more changes that have to be done uh, to the X brand, and it will have to move away a little bit more from him as a person and more to actually uh, a product brand um, that offers convenient services such as payment and stuff like that. And that actually create trust because I think his personal brand is not enough to do that.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. All right, guys, gals, and everyone in between and beyond, that's our show. I want to thank my guest, Christopher Leidinger from Lit Create for joining me. Be sure to check out our extensive back catalog of episodes on olmar.com with master of wine YouTubers, NFT fantasy football gurus, Headspace execs, and more. And if you liked what you heard, please smash that subscribe button. Until next time.